And if you would open your Bibles along with me, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to be covering verses uh, 15 through 22. First, I want to encourage all the women that um, we have Secret Sisters beginning, and so there's a sign-up sheet out there where you can sign up, and there's a card, a little form, right? You fill out to be a Secret Sister. And if you've never been part of Secret Sisters, I haven't, but I mean, if you've never been part of Secret Sisters, it's a wonderful thing. You uh, pick a card, and you have some woman that you're praying for and encouraging, and they don't even know who you are until the end. And at the end of the whole Secret Sisters segment, they have a dinner, a luncheon, where they reveal who's been praying for who. So grab one of those cards and fill it out. And I also want to thank everyone for uh, the blessing from the church for our 50th wedding anniversary and, and providing for us to have a nice dinner out with our uh, children and grandchildren. It was just such a blessing. And uh, it was awesome. And um, also, something that's really cool, I don't even know if he's in here right now, but um, February this month, Pastor Frank Jr. completed 10 years and is beginning his 11th year preaching to us here at Bring Calvary Chapel. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's amazing, isn't it, how time seems to to fly. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name as there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, and Lord, we need to be saved. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as we break open your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be present to help us um, understand it and, and to apply it to our lives, because, Father, we're so aware of the fact that on our own, we are nothing. We have no power. We don't even really have purpose just on our own. But by your grace and by your mercy, Lord, and by the gifts that you give to each one of us, you give us purpose, you give us meaning, and you give us the ability to be in fellowship with you, the living God, and with one another. So now, Lord, I pray that you would come and anoint and use me to minister to these, your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, um, from the very beginning, the Bible prophesied of the coming of the Messiah. Did you know that? And the reason the Bible prophesied of the coming Messiah from the beginning is because from the beginning man was deceived by Satan and fell from God's grace. And what happened is uh, God gave man and his wife Eve, which, anyway, it's a, it's a Hebrew word that sounds like man. It's uh, the other man, another human, in other words. And so... Um, he gave them everything in the garden except for one tree in the center of the garden which they weren't to eat from. And that was just to show that he was giving them an opportunity to obey him willingly, not forcibly. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve ate from that uh, tree in the middle of the garden and they both fell from God's grace and they were eventually kicked out of the garden. But it's so interesting that Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world were laid. Because God, being omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, knows everything and he's everywhere at the same time. And so he knew from the beginning that by giving man a choice, man would eventually turn from him. And so from the beginning, God wanted to provide and did provide a way for man to be restored back into relationship with him. Because believe it or not, 
um, you know, I, I'm 76, and I'm looking around to see if there's anyone older than me. There used to be, uh, but they're home now, so I can be the oldest guy in the church and impart my wisdom to you. But the thing I'm getting at is this life, this life is not what life is about. This life is just preparing us for eternal life. Because I think all of us recognize the fact that we're body, soul, and spirit, right? And if we were just body, basically, we would all be like uh, automatons behaving in the same way and doing the same things. But the fact is we also have a soul, which is your self-identity. Your soul is who you are. It's what makes you different than others around you. And it's the thing that allows us to have not only our relationship with one another, but with God. Because God's relationship with every individual is different. It's personal. In other words, we don't have, as a church, just a general relationship with God. This guy, Frank Thomas, has an individual relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. And Vi Thomas has an individual, individual relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so God's intent in man was that man might have fellowship with him and worship him, but he also knew that man would fall, that man would sin and fall out of God's grace, and by the very perfection of God would have to be separated from him. So God understood, even before the foundations of the world were laying, that's why it talks about Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that he needed to provide a way for man to have his sins covered, kofar in the Hebrew, to have his sins covered, and that he would be able to come back into relationship with his father. And we find this, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible. <clears throat> And this is right after um, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They sinned against not only the Lord, but themselves. And they ate of the fruit that God forbade them to. And that separated them from God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 14, if you want to move down to verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and remember, Satan indwelt the serpent, to deceive uh, Adam and Eve. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the, of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, separation, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." It's an amazing prophecy there, because for one thing, the woman doesn't have a seed, and so this was a prophecy of the virgin birth, right from the beginning, the prophecy of the virgin birth, and it says, he's going to bruise your heel, and that's referring to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ would crush his head and the power of sin over mankind. What an amazing blessing that is for you and I. Now, also in this portion, it makes it very clear that there is no need to consult with diviners or soothsayers as the Lord alone is the answer and power to satisfy 
all the questions we have, all the questions we desire to have answered for us. And, um, and the reason I say that is because Pastor Frank Jr. in the first service really went into some detail on it. It was really good. You want to listen to his message if you missed it. And he really went into some detail on it. Is that there are people out there that say that they have the power to be in contact with the dead or to read fortunes or to tell you what your future is going to be. And they might. Some of them are just plain frauds and they're doing it to earn money, but some of them probably do have um, the power of Satan behind them. And they are able to say things that seem to be true and, and so forth, but it's for the purpose of deception. We don't need that because we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. And see, the Holy Spirit becomes alive in us when we're born again. It says his spirit quickens or makes alive our spirit. Because our spirit, our, our, our ability to have relationship with God was destroyed and removed by sin. So when you and I are born again, what happens is our spirit becomes alive. Now you and I have communion with the Lord. From the day I was saved, I knew I had some kind of communion and relationship with Almighty God. I wasn't perfect, believe me, I still was drinking. It's going to shock some of you. I was still de uh, dealing with a lot of drinking. I was still dealing with smoking and things like that. And, but I had a relationship with God. Something was different. And rather than me having to quit, the Lord took it from me. Not only, you know, tobacco and, and alcohol, those are the obvious things that we think about, but so many other things in my life. In my entire life, in my relationship with the Lord, has been one of the Spirit. I know He is there. I know who God is. I sense, I know His, his, his person. I hear from Him, from His Word, and sometimes He speaks to my heart. And that has affected my soul, my self-identity of who I am. Because when you get saved, you're still you. Like, before I got saved, I was the funny guy, like Pastor Frank is now. But I was the funny guy, I was the life of the party, and I always had a joke and this and that. And when I was born again, I didn't suddenly turn around, well, yes, we'll take life more seriously now, and, you know, the only thing that matters. I was still me. I still joked, I still had fun. I still do. I had a lot of fun. But the thing is, where it crossed over into those things that would be displeasing to the Lord, that, that was removed. Because every time I cross over in disobedience to the Lord, I feel conviction. I wouldn't feel that kind of conviction if it wasn't for the fact that I was born again of the Spirit. My spirit was made alive. And so those, when I do anything that is contrary to the Word of God or displeases Him, I know it and I feel it. But God is so good. And so from the beginning, God provided redemption. From the very beginning. And he's not distant. He's as close as our next breath. And, and he's not some imagination uh, you know, of our heart. He's real. He is God. There's, there is no one more real than Almighty God. You know, I can remember many... When I first got saved, I was still teaching science uh, in high school... Of course, that's high school, if any of you know where that is. And I remember one of the other science teachers saying to me, how can you believe in the Bible and be, believe in science? 
And I said, I don't understand how you can believe in science and not believe in God. Because it so testifies to the reality of who God is. But the fact is, people close their mind to the truth because they don't want to receive it. It's not that the facts aren't there. It's not that the facts aren't laid out. You know, we, we think of Sir Francis Bacon, the father of, of modern science. He was a believer. He was a Christian. And I remember years ago, and I'm not trying to just lift anyone up or anything, but years ago, when we were at Midler, a long time ago, we had a young man who was attending our church, and uh, he was in, in upstate medical school, and he was the top of his class, the top of his class. They even offered him a special position where he could get his Ph.D. and his M.D. so that he could also teach. He was so sharp. And one day he was having an uh, argument with one of his uh, professors, and he was pointing out that creation is, is every, everywhere around us. That's what we see. And that evolution is just a creation of man, that it's not true. And, and he had this one professor of his so upset that he finally said to him, you're no scientist, you're no scientist. So the only response he finally could have is just one of emotion, not of truth. He didn't have some other answer to give. And you're going to find in a moment why uh, I'm bringing that up, because we have to understand that God created. Because if God created then our purpose for living, our purpose for life, has to be found in him, not found in the things of this world and the things of this life. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. According to all you, you did... According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see uh, this great fire uh, anymore, lest I die. And, and, and what it was is when God spoke to them, they became so frightened, they, they, they just shook with fear. And they said, We don't want to hear God's voice, and we don't want to see fire from the mountain anymore. We want an intercessor. And that was, would be Moses. And the Lord said to me, Moses speaking, what they uh, have spoken is good. I will raise up from them a prophet like you. He's talking about a prophet like Moses uh, from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it, uh, require it of him. In other words, there's going to be discipline. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, and um, it is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and, will not be, and you will not be afraid of him. You shall not be afraid of him. So the promise here is that God was going to raise up a prophet, not a magician, not a soothsayer, not someone who's going to uh, you know, try to confuse people and to encourage them to follow other gods and nature and, and all this other thing, but he would raise up a prophet like unto Moses. 
And the Lord is doing this to make sure that the people would not be deceived. Because one of the things we have to realize is that deception is, is, is Satan's greatest tool. You know, in the garden, going all the way back to the first sin, what did Satan say? Did God really say? Did God really mean this? And he is always continuing to try to deceive us. One of the things that I always tell people is you have to be a Berean. And that doesn't mean you belong to this church. Berean is taken from Acts 17.11. It's a verse of scripture. The Bereans were of more noble character, for they received the message with all eagerness, but daily examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. So a Berean is someone who says, okay, I'm going to hear what this guy is preaching, but I'm going to compare it to the word of God. But we have so many preachers out there that are preaching false doctrines, you know, prosperity doctrines, health wealth doctrines, and so forth, making it seem like Christianity has to do with ben just you. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. I'm going to be the... I'm it has nothing to do with you in the physical sense. It has to do with you in the spiritual sense, that you might be able to worship him, the living God. You know, becoming a believer doesn't mean that you're going to be promised wealth. My first ministry that God called me to, and I, don't, I won't get in, I, anyway, the first ministry God called me to was to pastor on the Onondaga Indian Reservation. And I was a school principal and made pretty good money. And I went to the Onondaga Indian Reservation making $100 a week. And we had one time that our car broke down and I had to ride a bicycle back and forth to the reservation. But my family and I never felt poor in the sense that we had the joy of the Lord and the Spirit of God, which was everything. And so I never felt anyone should be equating Christianity and being a believer with being wealthy. Because I don't think anyone has had more joy and happiness in their life than Vi and I, you know, with our children and now with our grandchildren. And we've never had a barrel of money. Although we're ragged and funny. <laughs> Some of you might know that old song. But we've never had a lot of money. But we have been the most blessed, richest people in the world because of our relationship with God. The relationship we have with our family is a byproduct of our relationship with God. You understand what I'm saying? We're not all happy because we got a great family. We have a great family because we have a great God. Now, in Matthew 17, verse 5, it talks about, now this is the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, the Lord take, you know, takes um, th three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And then anyway, Moses and Elijah come and they come to comfort Jesus. It's going to be before his crucifixion and so forth. And uh, while he was still speaking, behold, a, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, talking about Jesus Christ, in who I am well pleased, and I love the last part. Hear him. And in your Bibles, it's a capital H and a capital H. Hear him. And so we have to understand, we need to hear the Lord. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. And that's why God has given us his word. I mean, 
Have you ever been sitting around thinking, yeah, I wish I had a good book to read? I know a real good book. <laughs> and we even call it the good book. <laughs> but the Bible is awesome. And you read, I mean, no matter how many times you read through the Bible, it speaks to you afresh. Because we have to understand, it's not a matter of us trying to conform to this world or to get all the gusto we can out of life. It's a matter of loving and serving the Lord. And he's the one who gives us the peace and gives us the joy in all that we do. And um, anyway, in this portion, uh, you know, Moses is, is being told that there's going to be coming, there, there would be coming a prophet like him. And of course, this was a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And I'll show it to you biblically that this was a prophecy of Jesus that we just read about. And uh, because Jesus, of course, came from the bosom of the Father, it tells us in Scripture, and um, he is the infallible word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And in, in, in the word there is all capitals in your Bible, it should be, and it's taken from the word logos, which means the divine word of God. He is the logos of God. He is the word of God to man. And it's absolutely ama amazing. And um, he came... For one reason. Understand that. Jesus came for only one reason. Love. And that's agapios love in the Greek. It means unconditional. Unconditional. You don't have to do anything to achieve that kind of love from him. You don't have to do anything to be accepted by him. Just believe. Just believe in him. And he desires to love us unconditionally. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You notice it doesn't say he sent, it says he gave because he was giving him as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ was the lamb of God. Remember in the old covenant, we studied it not too many weeks back, that a lamb was offered up as a sacrifice for the sin of the people. But that sacrifice was only temporary. That sacrifice died, and then if people sinned again, they had to offer up another sin sacrifice. But Jesus Christ is a living sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he did die on that cross. He literally died, but he also literally rose from the dead. And therefore, he became what we call a living sacrifice. So anyone who calls upon his name, he is the continuous living sacrifice for our sin. Nothing else has to be done again. He's done it all. And I think sometimes there might be some of us who get discouraged and say, oh man, I've, I've had such a lousy week. I've, I've fallen to sin and, and my mind has gone this, you know, da, 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 da. But he's a living sacrifice. We just cry out to him. And confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have no sin, we make him out to be a liar. We're sinners saved by grace. We're sinners maintained by grace. We're sinners who are going to be taken to heaven by his grace. It's all the grace of God. It's nothing we have to earn. It's all that he has done. Now, that's not to say that when you're born again, you're not changed. You are changed. There's something different in you. And what happens 
is things that you used to do very easily and enjoy very much, now you're convicted of. Doesn't mean you don't still fall to those sins, but you're convicted of it. I wish there was um, a way in this life we could come to a place where, well, I have no more sin in my life. I don't ever commit sin. Because the only thing that would make you is a sinner because you're filled with pride and arrogance. The reality is we are always sinners saved by grace. His mercies are new every morning. Why do you think it says that? And every day, every morning, we cry out to God, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Forgive me as a sinner and use me, Lord, to minister to those around me. Because we have to understand the prophet that came before Jesus, who was Moses, he just predicted what would happen shortly as they entered into the promised land, and he also prophesied of the coming Messiah, another prophet, as it is spoken of here. Now, so for all of Christ's prophecies, probably the ones that are the most interesting to you and I, as far as his prophecies are concerned, are the times in which we're living and his prophecies of the end. God does give prophecy through Jesus Christ of the end. And that is the fact that one day, this world as we know it, this economy as we know it, is going to be dissolved. Because the fact is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he has not appointed believers unto wrath, but unto salvation through Jesus Christ. So the point is, the Bible is so clear that one day God's wrath is going to be poured out on this earth, on this world. He has not appointed us, believers, unto wrath. Remember, Scripture tells us that. And so before God's wrath is poured out, we're going to be taken out. Read 1 Corinthians 15 carefully. We're going to have a glorified body. There was a, a physical body and a spiritual body. The physical came first, then the spiritual. We're going to be taken out of this world. We're going to have glorified bodies like Jesus did. And when we're taken out of this world, literally all hell will break loose on earth because God's wrath is going to be poured out and the devil's going to be going around screaming and doing whatever he can to destroy the people of God. And many people will get, will get saved, will come to faith during the tribulation. We know that because so many people are saved, Satan has to have a way of identifying them, the Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is completely filled with Satan. And the way he will identify the Christians is by saying, if you follow me, and if you believe in me, the Antichrist, then you'll take my mark on your hand or forehead. And if you refuse to do it, it's because you don't believe in me as the Christ. You believe in Jesus. And for that, you're going to be put to death. But the Lord told us what it would be like in the end times before he comes for his, his church. And he said, wickedness will abound. And I know there's been wickedness throughout the centuries, but I don't think anything like we have, you know, today. You know, where they use aborted fetuses for medical reasons. I mean, that, that's disgusting. 
we live in a very wicked world. We live in a world today where good is taken for evil and evil is taken for good. If I say to someone, you know, uh, homosexuality is wrong, Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you and he'll give you the strength to overcome your homosexuality. You know what? I'm committing a hate crime. Good is taken for evil and evil for good. If I say to a young couple, you know what? You need to be married. Or you're committing fornication. Oh, you're an evil person. Sin is, ta- you know, evil is taken for, for, for good and good is taken for evil. I can't say that. I can't say that if you have XY chromosomes, you're a man and that's all you are is a man. And the person says, no, I'm actually a female. Well, I'm the sinner. I'm the one who's speaking hate. I'm not speaking hate to anyone. You know why? Because Jesus Christ loves everyone and anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whether you're a murderer, whether you're a homosexual, whether you're a fornicator, whether you're a liar, whether you're a murderer, whether you're a drunkard, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful promise that is. Now, when it talks about him being Jesus, uh, being a prophet like Moses, if you take notes, write down Acts 3.22, Acts 7.36, and Matthew 17, 5 through 6. It all talks about this. And it's interesting because as Moses was the prince, in other words, it could also be the, of Israel, it also can be uh, translated king. Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And one of the other things that I find so interesting is that there are only two people in the Bible that gave the laws of God to man, Moses and Jesus Christ. Moses gave the first covenant. Jesus Christ came and gave a better covenant. What a blessing that is. You know, it also makes it very clear in this portion that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all that Moses was preaching about. You know, I find it interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, it says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So the perfect thing is the perfect law of God is Jesus Christ. And so the law of Moses, which was just in part, was for the purpose of showing us we're sinners. It was our school teacher, Scripture tells us. When I look at the laws of the Old Testament, I look at the laws and I say, I'm a sinner. I've got sin in my life. Well, that prepares me now to receive Jesus Christ. You know, how many of you would go to your, your, your physician and say, here I am for my appointment, and your physician says, what's wrong? You say, nothing. What are you here for? I just want to be treated. Treated for what? I don't know, I just want to be treated. I mean, that sounds ludicrous, right? Well, we have to understand there's no reason anyone would be going to Jesus Christ, the great physician, as he's called in Scripture, unless they understood their condition. I'm a sinner, and I deserve death. I'm coming to you to be healed, Lord, to be healed of my sin, to be forgiven of my sin, and filled with your Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Well, it was prophesied. 
and it has happened. You know, it's also very interesting to me is that um, even nature itself testifies to the glories of God. Why do you think evolutionists are so adamant in their faith? And it is a faith. There's no proof behind it. It's a faith system. Why are they so adamant in it? Because if they believe creation, creation testifies of Jesus Christ. I mean, even if you're a science major, you guys know what capillary action is? You know, when, when like fluid tries to fill a void, like you take a straw and put it in water and so forth. Well, capillary action will only work so far. How do you, how do you understand the, the great redwood trees? You know, they're hundreds of feet high. Scientifically, there's no way for the moisture and nutrients to get up there. It, it can't happen. Well, they have theories and ideas, but they don't know how or they don't know why. All we do with science is try to explain, you know, what is. You know what I'm saying? Now, I think there are some sciences that are more exact, like medical. You know, you go to the, you go to the doctor and they look at you and you say, well, okay, well, you need to have your appendix out because we can see and da-da-da-da-da. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about this evolutionary, theoretical kind of science that people have. I don't know how you can look out and see how many different kinds of trees there are, how many different kinds of animals, how different human beings are, and not realize that there is a creator God. If we were just an evolutionary you know, mishap, we'd all be, be the same. There'd be no understanding of eternal life, and there'd be no understanding of morality, but there is. Because we're creations of God. And you know, um, faith always has to be the center of our belief. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be you removed, and it'll be removed. Now, that was what we call a metaphor. He didn't really mean that Christians should be going outside and saying, mountain, uh, move. You know, we'd look like a bunch of idiots, and I would pretty much guarantee you the mountain's not going to move. But what he's, what he's referring to, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, mole that kind of metaphor. He's talking about problems, difficulties, or whatever. And if in Jesus' name, we can take any problem we have to the Lord and say, be removed. And Jesus Christ will do it because he is the living God and he loves us so much. And he, his, his presence removes all fear. But it has to be by faith. Like, for instance, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, he didn't take the stick in his hand. Actually, it was Aaron, his brother, who he had to do this. But it, it was Moses, really, that was commanding him to. They didn't take the stick and say, okay, I'm going to throw this stick in the ground and maybe, I, I kind of hope, it turns into a snake. He knew it would become a snake because God had showed him. And he knew it by God's word. And he threw the stick in the ground and it became a serpent. What about Elijah when he was having on Mount Carmel a debate with the prophets of Baal? And they said, okay, let's tell, see who the real prophets are. We'll both offer up a sacrifice and see whose God answers with fire from heaven. And the prophets of Baal danced around. They cut themselves, which was one of the things they did. And they cried and all this stuff. No fire came. And then finally, at the end of the day, when it was Elijah's turn, he didn't say, um, gee, I, 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 I hope something happens when I say this. He knew 
And when he cried out to God, fire came down from heaven and not only consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the stone altar and it left a divot in the ground. He knew. And we can know by faith. Anyone, and I love the word anyone. You want to look it up in, in the Greek and even in the Hebrew. The word anyone literally means anyone. In other words, none are excluded. Not one is excluded. Not one. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is received by faith. When you finally come to the Lord and say, God, forgive me a sinner. Please come in and take over my life. It doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, and you, know, you, you turn into some kind of a, you know, whatever, uh, you know. What are those superhero guys? It doesn't mean that at all. When you call upon the Lord and ask him to forgive your sin and come in and take over your life, it is by faith that you receive it. Now, there will be signs in your life that will show that this beautiful miracle has really taken place. But it's by faith. It's by faith. I mean, I wish there was some kind, like if I said, you know, had fire coming down and all kinds of lightning. Anyone who walks under this will be saved. You'd be doing it because of what you are seeing, not by faith. And the reality is, you can see the product of your sin, but you can't see sin in your own heart. No one else can see sin in your own heart. But you know. But by faith, your heart's going to be cleansed. By faith, you're going to be forgiven. And faith is a beautiful thing. It is not something we hope for. It is an absolute. It is a promise of God. It's a promise of God. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for the assurance of salvation and the promise and the hope that we have in you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would take the words that I've shared this morning with these, your precious people, and use it to minister to them and to encourage them that they might commit their lives fully to you. And now I pray, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your blessing, that we might leave this building with one purpose, to love and serve you and to be used of you. And so, Father, I pray and ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.